Eddie, Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston. What is Kingston doing out here? Kingston. What are, what are Moxley's? Well, his friends, he's trying to get the handcuffs he's, off. Eddie Kat, Kingston. He's is, unconscious. It's one of Moxley's oldest friends. You better lift him up and get him out of there, Kingston. Carry him over your back. Kingston protecting Moxley. And I know this must pain Eddie to do this. Yeah, he's doing the right thing. God almighty. What a great night. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the AEW Revolution Post Show. I am John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. And that right there was the end of a... <laughs> Classical moment in professional wrestling history. Um, as I wrote at the end of my report, which I'm not going to claim is all that original, probably from the commentary out there, but yes, the ending of this show did in fact bomb. <laughs> this whole show was built around one moment. It was built around one visual, an explosion, and... You could do the greatest show in history, but on that landing, you had to nail it. You had to, had to, had to nail it, and they so did not nail this ending. It is, um, it 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 is like one of the great um joys of life to have <laughs> anticipation be met with crippling reality in moments like this um where i i have to say i think they did a damn near perfect job of giving us a wonderful tribute to uh, a, an atsushi onita terry funk style exploding barbed wire deathmatch complete with great dramatic moment building to the end but you can have the perfect race you can wrestle ninety nine or ninety nine point nine percent of the match perfectly in this one little detail um just collapses the whole thing unfortunately um i I have to say maybe not since the shockmaster has an explosion accompanied such a deflating moment in pro wrestling, but it does not take away the effort of the performers. Um, it takes away maybe the effort of the people who set up the explosion, but not the performers. No, they did a fantastic job. I think if you came into this with the open mind of what you wanted to see, like there's some people that are just, they were not going to enjoy this match because it's not their cup of tea. It's not, it's my, not my preference, but I can certainly appreciate it when it's done well. This was done very, very well. It was laid out well. I thought the announcers did a great job of getting over the severity. Um, I, I got some videos from... Uh, those that were, there were live, it seemed like the crowd really got into the explosions. Like visually, they looked very good. It was a very violent match. I think it delivered of a high bar that they had set out for people where they let your imagination run wild as to what this match could entail. And I think to your point, they tried to hit on a lot of elements of those that are fans of previous, you know, exploding death matches. And also newer fans, too, to wrap up this rivalry. And 
the built the built up suspense in those final the final minute uh i thought it's like wow this is really going to be something and when eddie kingston came out i thought what an amazing story eddie kingston is going to come in here and i think everyone knew what it was going to be it was he could not get this guy who's he's out from the most devastating one-winged angel we've ever seen and he's going to try and save his sworn enemy former best friend i was like what what a wonderful like emotional end to this and when that explosion went off, it was like the whole crowd it was like they all looked at each other and gave each other five seconds of that can't be it. And then the booze rained down and <laughs> all the first person I thought of was Michael Nakazawa screwing up Matt Seidel's shooting star press and wondering how dynamite could open on Wednesday with Tony Khan stating fans <laughs> it was a brutal match on Sunday, but what you didn't see was what, what happened after the pay-per-view went off the air, <laughs> and they redo this whole explosion. I don't know how you walked the, out of this, because the way it was presented was, like, I got the impression this was going to write out Moxley for some time. This had to be something so severe that these two guys disappear, and they come back as a tag team down the road, or at least from some break. This had to be something that was so severe that Moxley does not come back immediately from. Well, I couldn't think of a better circumstance to write somebody off for a period of several months than um, dying in an explosion. Um, but unfortunately, that did not take place. However, we do have... Um, apparently, Moxley did cut a promo afterwards to the live crowd. Do you want to already hear tells you, he's like, I should not be able to cut this promo right now. Do you want to hear it? Yes, I do. Okay. So I'm sure he says some other stuff, but but uh anyway, so we we think uh at FL wrestling fan for for that. But um, Well, it it had to have some effect because Eddie Kingston was frozen. <laughs> the man couldn't move. So it had some impact on Eddie Kingston. Uh, okay. I feel terrible. Really? You do. Like, Listen, it's not the performer. It's one thing when we can say you have these ambitious performers with some radical ideas for different things. And sometimes stunts go wrong. Things are, you know, you slip on the ropes. There's a, and ultimately it's, Performers are victims of their own imagination and ambition. In this one, they had no control over this. And that's where Absolutely. you feel bad. And they are the ones that have to wear this one uh, in front of a crowd and on pay-per-view. And sadly, that's how this show will probably be remembered by most. Because that's what this was. This whole show was built around was that moment. You know, if they can make a Snyder cut for like that Justice League movie, I, I'm sure we can get a con cut or a Moxley cut of of this match at some point, and they can. CGI I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can do this again on a pay per view. I don't think you can sell this match again to people after that that payoff. You know, the thing, the rest of the match was so good. Like everything done up until that point was, in my opinion, completely, completely perfect. That I think they can. And they could uh, guarantee. I think guarantee you're not fans. so much selling people on the violence, though. You really are selling them <laughs> on that moment. And I think like it's. Ugh, I, know, I don't know. I don't know if you would be able to bring that one back to pay per view again. 
even without the violence, I still really enjoyed it. I still really enjoyed myself. And I think with a packed audience next time, they could, and I do think you should like be use this very sparingly, like once every five years, you know, like this, the, the legend of this match, I think only grows after this, you know? And so I think there, that there's going to be that desire for them to want to see a perfect landing next time around. But I, I, I completely agree with you about like the way they crafted that ending and this whole thing. If you haven't seen Funk versus Onita, like you should, because I think it's very much modeled, not just in style and look, but in culmination as well, where the, the ending of that particular match was, I guess, Onita and Terry Funk involved in this blood feud. And much like that match, Onita actually beats Funk minutes before the match, uh, the explosion ends. So he leaves Funk to die in that ring. And then in the very last second decides, this is wrong. I'm going to go in and I'm going to save him. And in doing so, isn't able to revive Funk, and therefore, therefore, the both of them end up, you know, exploding or at least suffering the effects of this quote-unquote explosion. Uh, which, I mean, in the end, all you're really looking for are like big plumes of spo- smoke, something that like you know feels big, which is not what we got tonight. But I thought what they did tonight was a really good twist on it, not having Omega be the one to show remorse, but instead having his other sworn em- enemy and in- in- in Eddie Kingston coming in and doing it. I thought it was great everything was planned so perfectly except that just one little misstep at the end we will go in order and review the show but the other key story from the show was the arrival of christian cage appearing signing his contract in the middle of the ring and then exiting so i guess you will have to wait for dynamite to hear him speak um so now that we know the identity which there was this Right as the ladder match was going on, I got a text from someone who told me that on the Spanish language feed, when Ethan Page came out, they didn't identify Ethan Page and the name they had, they identified him as Christian Cage. And I looked on Twitter and there were people were tweeting about this. So apparently the and I did not I was obviously not watching the Spanish feed. Uh, but apparently when Ethan Page came out, he was identified as Christian Cage. So that was the other big snafu on the show tonight, which will probably not be as remembered as the closing moments. All ego Christian Cage? I I mean, <laughs> how do you make that mistake? Like, I mean, really? Like, did, did, with that person? Like, whoever it, it sounds the like they were? didn't know who Ethan Page was and they but, weren't. But do you also know not know who Christian Cage is? I mean, evidently not. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how you make that error. But and again, I did wow. not. I did not hear the clip. So, but it was enough that uh, you know multiple people were tweeting about it, and I got this text right away during the ladder match. So uh, there, there were some issues on this show. But uh, in terms of Christian Cage coming in, I think that you can look at. Um, I honestly believe. It was a mistake to promote this on Wednesday. I know the thinking is that you want to drive people to your pay-per-view. I don't know if people are spending 50 bucks on a reveal for a surprise. Not not I, alone, but I think it certainly adds It's a nice to part the of the week. show. I think that if they hadn't teased it on Wednesday, I think that Christian showing up and no one is speculating upon who's showing up and it's completely out of left field uh, would have had more impact. Uh, but the fact that you tease it on Wednesday, I think it was natural that people were going to narrow it down to who it could possibly be. And, you know, he's coming in and I do feel that there is a bit of a reliance now. Like they 
have kind of fallen in love with these surprises. And I, on his own, I have no issue with a Christian coming in. He's 47. I think that's that's a reason against. But, I mean, you know, of, you don't have to go over his resume. A fantastic performer, someone that, you know, got himself into incredible shape for that Royal Rumble appearance and then didn't have a talent contract. And I think that that was a missed opportunity on WWE's end. But he's coming in in a in an it's like you have a Chris Jericho and Chris Jericho was super valuable. But you have a Sting, you have a Paul White, you have a Matt Hardy, and now you have a Christian Cage. It's like any one or two of these people, great. It's when you we're starting to stockpile them that it's not so much arguing for can Christian bring something to your product. It's you have this amount of time that we talk about every week, and he's got to be fit in now for a certain amount of time. And others will not be. So I, I, we will see how this one plays out. But I just think overall, it's kind of falling in love with this idea of big surprises and bringing people in. And there's not enough time to go around, even when you are adding these other shows. You know, there's a Paul Heyman quote I heard somewhere about how... Um, what he was going to do in TNA? So- yeah, like you can bring in one, one legend, legend, one big legend, but, and that was his one, idea. He was going to come into TNA and get rid of everyone but one. He was going to have one legend to build around and it, because then they're special. They are that one person. And, and when you have a roster full of legends, then you're just an old company. And um, I felt like AEW prior to this was not that old company at all. Certainly, you look at this roster and you don't get that sense. But I think in succession, seeing a Paul White and a Christian Cage be announced in the same week on the same show that featured prominently a Matt Hardy singles match and a Sting return, it is uh, they are definitely like turning towards that territory of feeling like TNA from like you know ten years ago. Um, but you know, we, we remain open to see what they do with Christian. I'm hopeful that Tony Khan has that sense to not make some of those same mistakes. I understand why they would want to sign Christian, especially at this time, seeing that WWE wasn't going to grab him. Um, seeing that, you know, you could tell a great comeback story with him in a way that you can't tell with Sting because Christian, I, from what we could see, is probably, you know, a bit, a lot younger and probably a lot more mobile, but you can only have so much room for these types of stories. So, I, I hope this is kind of it, and I hope you could use somebody like Christian to a greater extent to, you know, continue to put focus on your new talents like your Darby Allens or, or an Ethan Page. Or, or maybe super- there's, a, there's a team up right there. Yeah. The Christian Cages. The, the Christian Cages, <laughs> yes, with uh, Brian and Christian coming together. Um, no, 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 with Ethan Page, the new Christian Cage. And oh, okay. Well, so, sorry. I, like we have multiple pages and we have multiple cages in this promotion. <laughs> the pages and the cages. Yes. Wonderful. Um, on the WWE side, I mean, it, it does not stun me. It's as great a performer as Christian has been. I mean, he has never been seen in that company as a top star. And that was the whole impetus behind him going to TNA in 2005. It was the idea that they don't see me at a certain level. So I'm going to go out and, and prove that I can be. And then he came back. He had that very great run in ECW where he was having great matches every week. He had the Orton program. Like this guy's always been a solid, solid performer, a great personality. He does this comeback and you're telling me, I was actually talking to someone this week, the idea of instead of this convoluted story with Daniel Bryan that they're trying to almost like retcon the last two months to focus on Bryan going for the title. If you're telling me that Christian Cage 
is able to come back and he is able to convince Reigns, I just want one more match. And for Fastlane, we get four weeks of Christian cutting promos stating, Roman, if I can't win the title, then I'll leave and I'll be gone. But four weeks of just teasing the idea that if I can beat you and then I get to headline WrestleMania with my best friend before I go off into the sunset, fans would bite on that. They might not believe that Reigns could beat Christian, but they would get into that story. And when Reigns beats him, there would be a lot of extra oomph to that program of Edge then going after Reigns, who takes out Christian. A hundred percent. And I think that's just one of several great ideas you could have possibly had with Christian's return here. It's not just the fact I don't disagree with you that they never and probably will never see Christian in that stage. But you have Edge who is poised to headline your WrestleMania. And what better device can you possibly have to use to tell an Edge story than his best friend, former tag team partner, and Christian Cage. Christian, whatever. Um, Like, this was too perfect. You know, just the build-up to a potential Edge and Christian tag team reunion. That, to me, would have been a huge Just for a B-show. Like, we're not even talking about this guy had to be your title contender. But you're telling me for Fastlane... You yep. wouldn't get into an Edge and Christian team up before or after WrestleMania. I, yeah. I'm, so, I'm just stunned that they would bring him back at the Rumble and not have the desire to lock this guy down. I mean, he put in all this work like to get into that shape at 47. I mean, this guy obviously wanted to be there. So, I mean, I guess we don't really know the terms. Like, maybe he was looking for something, maybe more than short term. Maybe, I mean, financially, of course, we'll never really know know what the deal is, of course. But I'm surprised, especially since, like, they are so willing to, I guess, try to, you know, pick up all the indie talent that's out there. Um, Christian, of course, is older, but still, he provides so much value for you in this specific point in time that I'm surprised they would really let it go. So I could see, all that said, I could see why AEW would decide that this would be a great pickup at this point. And it could be. And I, I have no idea when, when Christian actually put pen to paper with AEW, but I mean, for him, from a business perspective, it would have, like, had he not signed till this weekend, it would have benefited him greatly for his name to be out there as this potential appearance on Sunday that if WWE was having any reservations, like, that could have that could have driven up his, his price if he had not signed. And there's speculation of a Kurt Angle or a Christian showing up as well. You know, I, I'm certainly interested because I haven't really been on Twitter. I don't know if like you know, Christian has been a leading candidate throughout this whole time. But are people disappointed at the reveal? I'm not sure. So I, I hope to hear uh, some of your reactions later on in the Zoom chat room for all that. All right, let's get into AEW Revolution. It was quite a lengthy show, uh, starting at 7.30 Eastern uh, with the buy-in. And Britt Baker comes out to start the show, explaining that she had given a doctor's note that she wrote herself that Rebel cannot compete. Tony Khan has allowed her to choose a replacement, and that replacement is Maki Ito, who comes out, does her total uh, pop idol entrance uh, for 1,300 people, and it seemed to... This audience knew who she was. It was something where uh, they were not uh, confused as to who this was, and this is amazing because she wrestled in Tokyo. She had two matches for Tokyo Joshi Pro on Saturday and then flew here. That's insane. It also tells you there's no real kind of quarantine protocol uh, in Florida. I guess also no. not in AEW either. Um, so, you know, there, there's that. So at least we know uh, for the future. But I think this is 
this was a great initial surprise that I don't think anybody was even really talking about. And certainly they did a great, great job hiding it because I didn't see Maki Ito's name being brought up as one of the potential surprises on this show. Um, I wonder, you know, when this was sort of in the works, because um, I definitely feel like I'm, I'm, you know, myself included, disappointed that Maki Ito wasn't going to be the one to make it through that tournament. And, you know, the future of her getting a spot in AEW, I, I think to me seemed like pretty highly possible i just didn't think it would be this soon so uh i was really happy to see this uh so it was Britt baker and maki ito against thunder rosa and Riho, and it was they went 14 minutes and 50 seconds uh brit baker has gotten so much better in in the past year she was like the focal point in in the match um it was kind of kind of real was was more so in the background here Baker was able to yank Rio to the floor and send her into the guardrail. Uh, Thunder Rosa was then in, got hit with a Kokeshi from Ito, who, I mean, I, I thought her personality came o- came across very well, and I was glad she got to do the full entrance at the beginning. Uh, it ended with Thunder Rosa sending Baker into Rebel on the apron, hit a Death Valley driver, Ito made the save, and then Rebel nailed Rosa uh, with a super kick. And hit her with the crutch. Sorry, it was Baker that hit Rosa with the super kick. And then Rebel was on the apron and nailed her with the crutch she had come out on. And Baker pinned uh, Thunder Rosa. 14 minutes, 50 seconds. I enjoyed the match. I thought there were maybe a few mistimed spots, but none, nothing to enough to diminish my enjoyment of it. I really enjoyed Thunder, Ro- Thunder Rosa in this match. I thought her and Baker conveyed some really good intensity to carry on their grudge. The match really helped put their rivalry into focus and I think added a bit of heat for it. I actually thought Riho looked tremendous. Like she's just incredibly smooth and feels very special to watch for me. And I don't know if that's due to like the prolonged absence of not having her around or if she's just simply gotten better or maybe a bit of both. But, you know, this combination that they had in there of like Britt Baker, who's now at an elevated stage since, you know, the pandemic, Thunder Rosa, who's been just completely reinvigorating for, for this division. And now uh, the return of Riho has suddenly made AEW's women's division feel like that much better than I think, you know, maybe months ago that it was. And Maki Ito, you know, might be the weakest in ring, but she certainly makes up for that in charisma. Um, as a fan favorite already, she to me is the women's division's Orange Cassidy if she can stick around. Uh, so I, I overall thought it was a strong debut for her and a, and a good worthwhile watch on the buy-in. Yeah, and I think for a Maki Ito, I, I think it's always great to have a few of those acts that it encourages the crowd interaction, like between her and you have Jericho's entrance. Like I think those are great things to have for a live experience for the crowd that they get to participate in an entrance. Mm-hmm. Agreed. The buy-in wrapped up with Excalibur and Tony Schiavone joined by Jim Ross, and he sat down and... The immediate thought was, there is no way this guy's voice is lasting for the entire show. He was very hoarse. And, I mean, to his credit, once he got into calling the matches, his voice sounded fine. It seemed like it was mainly when he had to do the on-cameras that it really got difficult. But, I mean, he soldiered through. But, I mean, he was uh, definitely under the weather or something here. And uh, at one point, apologized for his voice. Seemed like bad timing to have, you know, some a voice issue before a big show, but it seemed to work itself out throughout the night. It was not – when I first heard it, I was like, this is going to be tough. Like, they're they're going to have to yank him if, if he cannot call properly. But once the matches got going, like, he seemed to have it under control. And, I mean, it's happened at times with, like, different announcers. I cannot recall 
Jim Ross losing his voice, which is quite amazing when you think about the volume that he has hit on some of these calls. Mm-hmm. The show, uh, the pay-per-view proper, opened with the Young Bucks against Chris Jericho and MJF for the... We, we eight- had a Cro- Jim Crockett graphic. That's right. They put up a graphic for Jim Crockett Jr. at the beginning. A really nice touch to, to have that uh, to start the show. Mm-hmm. So Jericho and MJF challenging the Young Bucks for the tag titles. I thought this match was fantastic. Um, it was just laid out so well. They... They got the heat on on the Young Bucks at two different points in the match where they, they got the heat on Matt and then later uh, Nick as well. You had Jericho and MJF delivering all of these like double team maneuvers. They did a double team vertical suplex as they're holding up the middle fingers, uh, building up to a hot tag from Nick, which culminated with a Canadian destroyer onto MJF. The Young Bucks hit the mach- machine guns made in Detroit uh, that Excalibur was on top of. MJF then held Nick... Uh, to avoid him going for the Indy Taker. So Jericho reverses Matt, hitting a tombstone. Nick still went for the Meltzer driver and just kind of landed on his ass. So Jericho just stood there and then put him in the walls of Jericho. And then uh, later, another Indy Taker to MJF was stopped with Jericho hitting the code breaker in midair onto Nick. They did this huge near fall where Aubrey Edwards was distracted with Wardlow. Jericho hit Matt with Floyd, the bat, followed by a heat seeker and Matt kicked out of bat for a big reaction. Then Wardlow grabbed Matt. Jericho misses, hits the Judas effect to Wardlow. Jericho then attempts a lion salt and is hit upside down with a super kick in midair. BTE trigger. You think it's over. MJF breaks it up. And then MJF is left alone. He's lit up with super kicks. They hit a double super kick to Jericho. And finally, the Meltzer driver is hit on to Jericho and the Young Bucks win in 17 minutes and 48 seconds. I, I thought this was outstanding. I thought this was, I had high hopes for it. It was above them for me. I thought this was a really great match. Um, I thought Jericho and MJF played these great kind of classic tag team heels. And, you know, it, it allowed the Bucks to just kind of wrestle a great standard baby face match that they typically are, are expected to pull off. Uh, Jericho's timing in particular in this match, I found very precise and really impressive. Him coming in last minute for a lot of these near falls and counters and saves. And, you know, um, MJF I, I, was on top of everything. Like MJF on these pay-per-views, it's like he really shines in, in a lot of these big matches that he's been showcased in. But I just thought these four, they gelled so well together. They had so many clever ideas for near falls that you bid on throughout. Like I, I thought that they did. Just such a great job. I I kind of lean towards this as my match of the night. Um, I know some people... I, I, I don't even think that's like a crazy statement. Like, I think th- this was my match of the show. It wasn't mine, but um, I, I wouldn't disagree with you for uh, something like that. Or at least I wouldn't take that away from you. This was a very enjoyable match. Then it was the Casino Tag Team Battle Royale. So the way this works is that both team members have to be eliminated. The winners will receive a future tag team title shot. So uh, the order of entrance here, we had Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall and 5 and 10 of the Dark Order starting. And then we had 90-second intervals. So Santana and Ortiz. Legit 90 seconds because you could actually see the clock. That's right. Yes, we had a countdown clock. Um, Santana and Ortiz were in third and... They were followed by Matt and Mike Seidel, Stu Grayson and Evil Uno, The Gun Club, Colton and Austin, Peter Avalon and Cesar Bononi, who 
For Cesar Bonone, they just said he's the largest man in this match. And I, I took their word for it. I mean, he didn't, to me, jump out at me physically, but I, I guess so. Maybe they checked his height before. Uh, largest up until this point, at least. That's right, because Luchasaurus had not entered yet. Uh, the Varsity Blondes were in after that. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the eliminations here. It was just fast and furious. Bear Country so, came in. So, and- so there's a big one here where QT eliminated the Gun Club, who are members of the Nightmare family. And then this was where Dustin says, why did you eliminate one of our own? And QT turned here, basically. He says, fuck you. And he eliminates himself before spitting at Dustin. So we had one big angle within the body of this match. Yeah, this wasn't very angle heavy, except for that one. They wanted that one to register. And yeah, it was QT walking out on Dustin. Uh, Jungle Boy, who was one of the stars of the match, was in next with Luchasaurus. And (laughs) this was insane. So... Jungle Boy is just running wild. He eliminates Ortiz. Then he draws in Santana, pulls the rope down. And then Evil Uno is on the apron. Marco Stunt appears on the edge and goes for a running Rana to send Evil Uno out. But Marco, like, ends up on the floor and Evil Uno is just standing there on the apron and was, I guess, supposed to be eliminated. So he just pauses for a second, realizes I have to get out. So the man just runs into the post and eliminates himself. I had to check that I wasn't playing WWE 2K20 or something. I think <laughs> I think it was like a Rana that was supposed to send him into the post, but the physics did not work oh at all. This this was something else. This this moment it was like the most ridiculous looking. You know, you can blame not Michael Nakazawa for this too. I'm sure. Oh, dude, Michael Nakazawa is going to be really busy this week. Yeah. Uh, the Butcher and the Blade were out next, followed by Private Party. Daniels and Kazarian, who they note, since they made their pack to win or they'll retire, have gone 6-0. and So then <laughs> they ask Excalibur, well, what happens if they lose here? And Excalibur's like, well, that wouldn't be considered a loss. This is a battle royal. So that kind of <laughs> telegraphed these guys were not winning and really begged. The- I understand they're six and zero in this run. They kind of have to be in this match. But if ever there was a team to do an injury angle with this week, it's probably Daniels and Kazarian. They did not need to be in this match. There was no reason for it. And it kind of just clouds the bigger story that's kind of been forgotten if you're only following Dynamite, which is unfortunate. It's a, it's a tricky story to pull off like for a long duration because you're going to have to have this team like really go undefeated forever. But at the same time, you're not taking advantage of the story by, you know, profiling it on Dynamite at all. So it's, it's, it's a really strange department where, they, uh, where, where, where this has taken place. But I mean, they are still beloved wrestlers. So I think they needed some presence on the show. Before Bear Country was eliminated by the Butcher, uh, they were able to knock out luchasaurus that was the big elimination so they they gave something to bear country and bear country was popular as well mm-hmm. like this this crowd they got into them when they entered the match uh pack and ray phoenix were the penultimate team and then john silver and alex reynolds were out last so it came down to daniels and kazarian silver and reynolds phoenix and pack and jungle boy on his own because luchasaurus had already been eliminated by bear country Phoenix eliminates Daniels. Jungle Boy then elevates Reynolds. He's sent out. Kazarian gets dumped out by Pac. And then it's Pac, Phoenix, Jungle Boy, and John Silver. And for the couple minutes that these four had, it was fantastic. I mean, it was a fine battle royal up until this time. It's just a lot of entrances, a lot going on. But then you got down to these four, and it was a really entertaining end. You, you did several near eliminations with Phoenix and Silver. 
Phoenix did his rope walk, kicking Silver off the apron, so he's out. And then the Death Triangle, double team Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy again drew in Pac, pulled down the rope, so Pac is out. And then Jungle Boy and Phoenix finished. Uh, Phoenix hit this insane somersault through the top and middle ropes, ending up in the front row. And then Jungle Boy used a Poison Rana back inside. Phoenix spun off the rope, drilled Jungle Boy with a spin kick, sending him over. And Phoenix and Pac win after 26 minutes and 46 seconds. I really enjoyed this battle royal. It felt far more organized than several of like AEW's earlier battle royals. And I think like the idea of staying true to these 90 second intervals kept everybody to their spots. And as a result, you had an overall match that felt packed end to end with consistent action that overall was like pretty well executed. You know, uh, of course, the biggest standout by the end here is Ray Phoenix. Uh, he did lose the, the match to enter the ladder match, but getting this battle royal win here to get that title shot. Uh, I think it was a perfect way to follow up on what's been an amazing month for his elevation. He looked superhuman in this match. Some of the spots he was doing. Uh, and, and let me, you know, just this this final four that they had right there, like, was a great snapshot of the future. Like, a really healthy mid-card of AEW right now between him, Pac, Jungle Boy, who is living more and more up to, like, those very high expectations each time he steps out there and is given that spotlight. He was amazing here. Man, John Silver, like here's a guy who was so is very captivating on that comedy show, but I never really expected him to be as captivating, if not in some ways even more so in ring. And right now he's to me feeling like a complete package of a wrestler that I I can't wait to see you know uh, get more elevated in the future. Bear Country I thought really caught my eye in, in a short ninety second burst, showing off their very impressive power spots. Alan Angels looked great. And, uh, of course, you had a bit of a QT Marshall and Dustin breakup in here as well. Yeah, I like that they wedged in the story with, with QT and Dustin and that they didn't try to get too many things over in the body of the match. It's pretty chaotic. I like that they just left it to that one key angle to remember at the end of things. And now you're going to get Pack and Phoenix against the Young Bucks that is going to be out of this world. Mm-hmm. They are like of all the teams on paper here, despite the fact that they've only been pairing for such a short amount of time, what we've seen of them, I can say I already have far higher expectations for them than any other team right now. I think they are head and shoulders already above all the other teams simply because the two singles wrestlers are so good. The The pacing of that match is going to be insane. The amount of acrobatics and spots in that match are going to be insane. So I think they're a great choice. I would love for them to hold off until the next pay-per-view, but I just think it's too far that that's probably going to be a Dynamite main event. Yeah, or at least a themed edition of Dynamite could do. Dasha interviewed Paul White about the mystery signing, and his hint was that he doesn't think anyone here could outwork this person. Then we went to some crowd shots. That was a bad hint, okay? Because he's he's teasing a new catchphrase for the guy that nobody would know. No, no. Um, and that was Paul White's involvement on the whole show with this one backstage interview. Yeah, well, he, he didn't really announce anything, did he? No, no. It's like all of, uh, seems like Randy Orton's victims are all migrating over to AEW. So who, oh, who's, who's next? Sean? Um, Flair and Sean. Who else was in the, uh, the goggle attack? Uh, Flair. <laughs> So then in the crowd, we saw Diamond Dallas Page and Al Snow, which I was begging for Al Snow to have a sign that read, it's not me. Um, what do you mean? 
for the sign. Oh, the, oh, the, the, the secret signing. Yes. <laughs> they also, uh, ID'd Paul Walter Hauser. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. I'm like, who? <laughs> this guy is an actor. Um, he's, he's in some, like, he's in some big movies. I, Tanya, Black Klansman, The Five Bloods, but I'm sorry. I don't know who he is. He was in I, Tanya? I've yes. seen that movie. Okay. Yeah. Who did I he play? Did he play the husband? I don't, I don't know. All right. Hikaru Shida versus Ryo Mizunami for the AEW Women's Championship. Um, Excalibur is fantastic. Uh, he, in like 30 seconds, built this up and put this great story out that Mizunami humiliated Shida years ago. And Shida has never beaten Mizunami. They fought to draws, but she has never beat Mizunami. And right there, we have something for the champion to be chasing. This was actually the, the story they told on the countdown. And it's one that I think it's really too bad we didn't have at least a week gap between Mizunami clinching that cha- tournament and then getting this match because you could have had a, a much deeper story told for this matchup than what we just had. Um, like, you know, in addition to that, you had, you know, they explained that Mizunami was set to retire two years ago, but uh, I guess the prospect of having AEW around and her, her potentially getting a, a big match in, in the US might have kept her going. And the bigger story, as you mentioned, is that this is an opponent that Sheeta has never been able to beat in 10 years. And somebody who taunted her, telling her she'd never beat her in 100 years, years ago. So she still had 90 years to go, but um, she didn't need it. So uh, we saw Sheeta hit her uh, her crunchy or the B-driver on the stage as Paul Turner is checking on Mizunami, who fights back with a lot of strikes. Uh, Shida hit her first of many of the Tanashis that Mizunami rose up from and then ate a second one. Both are down. Uh, Mizunami hit her twisting Uranagi and a spear, setting up the guillotine leg drop that only got a near fall. Mizunami went for her hot limit, but that was blocked. Mizunami then popped up from a straitjacket German. She really has that fire going when she can just pop up and roar and it would build up the match. Shida hit a falcon arrow, drilled her with a knee to the face, uh, just like she was a uh, Piotr Jan last night, and then one from behind before another Falcon Arrow for a two count. Uh, they're going into all these near falls. At one point, Shida pokes Mizunami in the eyes for an inside cradle. This would have been the best finish of the night if it had been the end. Instead, she kicks out, hits another Tomashi, and then Mizunami reverses the cover, gets a two count. Mizunami kicks out of the latest Tomashi, and then finally, it's a spinning roundhouse kick. And that is what pit puts Mizunami down as Shida wins the match in 15 minutes and nine seconds, capping off a bad week for both Mizzes in championship matches. A bad week for both Mizzes. Yes. <laughs> I thought this was an excellent match. And for me, like what greatly added to it was the benefit uh, was the added benefit of knowing that story that was attached to this. And when you know the history that, that I think these two had been through, this felt like, a wonderful epic chapter for a 10 year struggle for uh, Hikaru Shida. And um, I, I do feel like if I have to kind of complain about anything, I do feel like they kind of exhausted the near falls a bit by the end. I wish like, they cut it- this down by like three minutes. Cause they had hit mm-hmm. a peak and I would still put this on the short list of among the best women's matches we've seen in AEW. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if they had cut it a little, I think it'd be like maybe at the top, like it was, they had this match at the peak and they just went a little too long. 
I felt the same way about several of the uh, Japanese women's tournament matches too. Some of them, I think, just like went a little too extra for with the kickouts. Uh, because I think at this point, the Tamashi is a pretty recognized finisher and she had to, some of them just felt completely unnecessary and didn't really accentuate the match at all. But um, by the end, I, I do think this was one of Shida's best matches and it definitely exceeded my very high expectations. So uh, Shida's value really does continue to grow within this company, despite the fact that she doesn't really have too many notable storylines. Her in-ring activity, especially on these big shows, con- continues to to deliver. After the match, Nyla Rose attacked Shida, and Britt Baker, Rebel, and Maki Ito joined in on the attack on Shida and Mizunami, prompting Thunder Rosa to run down, and this is going to set up a six-woman tag for this Wednesday's episode of Dynamite, but kind of creating two factions here. I'm looking forward to it. Um, just the, the amount of talent that's, again, in in this kind of revamped AEW women's division, um, it's, it's actually quite exciting, so... You know, it remains to be seen how long Ito and Mizunami stick around. The next pay-per-view will be Double or Nothing, and they're staying on Sundays. They'll do Sunday, May the 30th, uh, which is Memorial Day weekend in the States, uh, which Tony Khan had noted earlier this week. Like, he, especially on on holiday weekends, that it makes some sense. If if people in the U.S. are home on the Monday from a holiday, it makes sense to run the Sunday night. So it looks like they're going to experiment and do Sundays and Saturdays, but uh, Double or Nothing will be a Sunday night at Daly's Place in Jacksonville. So that's interesting, too, that even the end of May, they're planning to be still at Daly's Place. Probably a good prediction. I mean, if not Daly's Place, they won't be touring anywhere else. No, uh, it doesn't look like AEW or UFC are going to Texas. Despite Dana you know? White, he want he he wanted to move next uh, the pay per view in three weeks to Texas. Where in Texas? Houston. He was talking about so like a stadium or, or an actual arena. An arena. Or? Yeah. The, okay. Apparently, he said the the governor is opening up Texas, but these mayors are uh, being too hesitant. Dana's mm. not uh, having yeah. any of it, so doesn't look like Texas is going to be getting a UFC at least not this month. Miro and Kip Sabian attacked Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy backstage. Taylor was put through some glass, and then they made their way to the ring, and Cassidy was still beaten up in the back. So it's a handicap match for the beginning part, uh, where Taylor is bleeding all over the place. Um, Cassidy struggles to get out, and then finally enters the match and hits an orange punch to Miro. Cassidy then fired up with a deep impact, can't lift him up for the beach break because his back is hurt. So Taylor's in, uh, Cassidy did the limp kicks to Miro, who then caught Cassidy with a kick before Cassidy hit the stun dog millionaire and the orange punch was held up when Penelope Ford got onto the apron and Miro made a snap decision to sacrifice Ford. So he shoved Cassidy and Ford flew off this apron and Miro ended it with a head kick to Taylor and the game over submitting Chuck in seven minutes and 53 seconds. I really like Miro's intensity throughout this entire match. I liked how the match began with like, you know, a pretty like violent, you know, um, attack sending Chuck through this glass door. Overall, I do feel like this was something that you probably could have saved for Dynamite. You know, it didn't really have anybody's interest, in my opinion, going into this pay-per-view. And I think by the end, just kind of served to extend the length of the show beyond what it needed to achieve. But the storytelling is interesting. It's Miro showing that he doesn't care that much about Kipper Ford. 
and uh, driving some dissent between the two, which might lead to an eventual breakup, maybe even a baby face turn for Kip and Ford, which I don't know how that's going to work out, but it, at least, you know, the relationship is changing. Yeah, I mean, it was it was short enough that it didn't overstay its welcome. And yeah, I think Miro was you know front and center for the match and showed showed a lot of intensity throughout. Alex Marvez interviewed the inner circle, asked them about failing to win the tag titles. Jericho shut them down. They are better than the Young Bucks, but added that the group is depleted. They are an army and they are going to change their plans in the middle of battle. So this Wednesday will be the first ever inner circle war council. War council. MJF, yeah. MJF agrees it's time for a change to make the inner circle better. So planting that seed as well for Wednesday. Yeah, strongly hinting that the change will be not in Jericho's favor, perhaps. Yes. Our latest uh, inner circle um, segment that we can disguise as an in-ring promo segment. The they're War always, Council. They, they're usually fantastic. And I think just like they're very smart with their branding. You know, it's like, little, uh, what is it? Um, Dinner Debonair, you know, War Council. Something you can make a logo for, I think is always good. Hangman Page versus Matt Hardy in the big money match. I was hoping that they would get a cameo from George Barrios to explain the rules of the match and how the Q1 filings will go. They mentioned that this quarter includes up until the end of the month. So this pay-per-view payoff is going to go to the winner too. There was a big money match chant at the beginning and Page teased the buckshot lariat early on. So, so Hardy so, got so, so we did have fans there, and I was like, it's not like they were so overwhelming that you could clearly make out who was cheering for whom, but there was like a pretty split divide between like you know pro Matt Hardy and pro Page fans. I thought, oh yeah, there was a Hardy contingent here at the beginning. Like they were, it was a very audible chant for him as well. They had about thirteen hundred or so in attendance tonight, and it was just to me notable because I haven't had that for a year. I haven't been able to gauge an audience's reaction to like a baby face or a heel in a year's time. So this was just kind of novel to me. WWE is very lucky they're in this situation because when I was watching SmackDown on Friday, they are at the point that I think now is the point where Brian's doing these promos. And I think where things are going, you'd be getting the audience starting to resent edge in this role that I think you would get the pro Brian crowd going. Um, and I think they're just, they're very much benefiting from no fans being there right now. Cause I, I don't think it would be smooth sailing for them in terms of this clear baby face heel distinction of Roman and edge. And, and do you really think that audiences everywhere, let's say if, if they traveled to Toronto or New York, do you think they would boo Roman Reigns? This Roman Reigns, who is the most entertaining character on that show? No, it would be it would be a struggle in some markets. Yeah. Certainly, he's yeah. he's his most popular now. I would mm-hmm. say. Um. Anyway, Matt got the heat attacking Page's hand. I didn't think this was the most dynamic Hangman Page match I've seen in some time. I thought this match dragged a lot in the middle. There was nothing wrong with the work, but. This was deep enough in the card that it was... And at 15 minutes, I I thought this one did overstay its welcome. Hardy was hit with the dead eye when Private Party appeared on the apron. Just freely got involved here. Page sent Cassidy and Quinn to the floor, but a buckshot Larry gets stopped with a side effect and a twist of fate that Page kicks out from. The Dark Order run out to assist Page attacking Private Party. They catch Page coming off the apron, hoist him back up. He hits the buckshot, wins it in 15 minutes, and 
Excalibur with the line of the show that as rich as Paige is in money, he is as rich in friendship. And the Dark Order and Paige all embraced. Uh, you got the nice moment at the end with the Dark Order with Paige together. They drank beer. Uh, but I, I thought this match was not anything special. And I've just been really enthralled with Paige's work over the last number of months. He's been one of my favorite television performers. Um, I, I thought this match was just kind of, it was just dull at points for me. It was a good match, but I totally agree. My energy personally was probably quite waning by this point. Yeah, you know, like we were what, like two hours into the show plus. And you knew you had a lot to come. That mm-hmm. like this ladder match, you knew the main event, like they were promoting it going thirty, uh, even though it didn't. I was actually quite impressed by like the way they kind of you know um, uh, sch- scheduled the 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 flow of matches in this show because you had a good variety to come. However, um, this was sort of like the last stumbling block to the rest of the variety that was to come in the in the show. And you're talking about a feud that I wasn't all that interested in anyway. It's very comedy based. Matt Hardy at this point is not as much of a draw in ring to me as he is as a character or on BTE or, you know, some other storytelling device. So it, 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 he I, I think Matt did look like good here, but um, I and I liked his choice of working on the fingers. It allows him to like kind of work a dirtier style, but that that is probably less physically taxing for him. Um, but I also feel like you're at a standard of wrestling now for these pay per views that I didn't think this you know achieved either in terms of storytelling or in ring. And then we go to the ladder match, the face of the revolution ladder match. And before we get into the participants. There's this giant brass ring hanging above the ring for the participants to fight over. I thought this thing looked so ridiculous. I could not not take this match seriously with this goofy cartoon prop that they were fighting over. I just thought it was such a bad idea to, I, I hated everything about it. Well, I think, I think the concept of it is, sound you know it's like the, the the brass ring is you know this this metaphor that um has been popularized forever especially after the cesaro vince uh interview uh, that we we just reviewed but um to use it here i think makes sense but to see it in execution i can see your complaint it does it did look somewhat cartoonish especially when you have guys like fall like going through tables and just taking these ridiculous bumps and and score you know the winner at the end just ho- clutching onto this like Essentially, what was this like a like a lifesaver, like a flotation device type of thing? Yeah, that's what it was. It looked like a lifesaver. Yeah. So it's Cody Rhodes, Max Caster, who did a great rap coming out, uh, stating that he's going to cancel these other guys like Doctor Seuss, and he'll have more blood on his hands than Governor Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, yeah, and also a Lola Bunny reference there as well. Uh. Lance Archer, Penta El Zero Miedo, and Scorpio Sky. So they're out, and then the sixth man is revealed as the Karate Man, Ethan Page, coming out to redeem his pay-per-view showing at Hard to Kill in January, which I'm sure no one was hoping would be Ethan Page's only pay-per-view appearance this year. I think it would have been awkward backstage with, like, Don Callis and... That's right. Yeah, they all they, they would have both been uh, been, been here tonight. But Page is in. They made the announcement. He is all elite. And 
again, they immediately brought up his history with Darby Allen. And again, I just think that that's, it sounds like a little thing, but like there is like this notion in WWE that your history does not exist until you get here. Instead, they brought up this history that they figured a lot of our fans know, and it gives Paige like a story in this match that, man, we might get to see him in Darby. And I, to be honest, I thought Paige was going to win this. Like the new guy comes in, he should go over. Me too. I was thinking that that was the direction they would go. Um, so anyway, we got into this and it's just all over the place here. Uh, at one point, Max Caster cleared the ring and waved down Jack Evans with a boom box, but he is stopped by Preston Vance who got involved. Cody. So what's the connection there? This was between, between Caster and Evans. Well, we had Evans get involved in the match on Wednesday uh, after being paid off by Matt Hardy. And yeah. I guess he's uh, working for Matt Hardy. But what's what's the deal with Max Caster and Jack Evans? Well, it led to Max Caster getting the win. So I guess he formed some kind of bond with Jack Evans after he helped him win on Wednesday. Is he paying him too? I guess so. Maybe he saw the Matt Hardy's uh, muscle in action. I, I don't know if Jack Evans has ever been accused of being the muscle, but um, he has formed a bond with him, I guess. Yeah, I I see because because like I could buy like you've established that Jack Evans is you know this kind of hand for hire for Matt Hardy, but they never really established a relationship between him and and Caster. Nor do I think Caster, as a brand new guy on this roster, would have the money to pay Jack Evans. Anyway, that's just that was a bit of a confusing part for me. That's where they lost way. Uh, Cody offers his hand to Ethan Page, and Page just goes after him, attacks him. Then he goes for a tilt-a-whirl onto Scorpio Sky and lost him, uh, but then grabbed Sky, power-bombed him onto a ladder, uh, which had Lance Archer in between the ladder. The biggest spot of the match saw Penta hit Cody with a destroyer onto a ladder that was set up between the ring and the barricade, and Cody was taken to the back to sell this, uh, but would ultimately return uh, as the big conquering hero, and... He returned, hitting Paige with the crossroads, but then Archer took him out with a superplex off of the ladder. Caster followed with the claim to fame elbow onto Cody's injured shoulder. Jake Roberts got involved, hitting a short arm clothesline to Ethan. And then Penta took out Roberts with a super kick. That's a match we can see on Dynamite, maybe. Penta and Jake. Penta and Jake. (laughs) That should be a headliner. It came down to Cody and Scorpio Sky fighting on the ladder and Cody got knocked down, and Sky grabbed the brass ring at 23 minutes and 19 seconds. Um, I I didn't enjoy this. I thought that this was um, another ladder match. I didn't think it was all that coordinated, and I I I just found it to be sloppy at points. I didn't think that the, it was really all that well laid out, and I I didn't think they did the best job of kind of outlining. Some of, like, the stories of these guys, too. Like, Scorpio Sky has been totally cold and could have been doing promos for a few weeks up until just randomly being on commentary this week. I felt he just felt like the guy that we've forgotten about for so long. And, I mean, he's been out. So, someone's been just someone that I think just came into this way too cold and they thought winning this will heat him up. Uh, And we're getting the match on Wednesday. But uh, this late in the show, I thought it went too long. I've I've really had my fill of ladder matches, I think, in my in my life. But I, I, I found this one to be disappointing given what you would expect of a big ladder match where the bar is pretty high. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, 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 the, my expectations for ladder matches, I think, um, especially, you, you know, in, they're kind of doomed in, in my opinion, actually, because like you, you can only go so far with a ladder match when you're on essentially the same card as an exploding death wire match. Like for them to take bigger risks than I think what we saw might have diminished some of the effect of, of the main event. But that said, you advertise a ladder match on a show. And it's not like they didn't take risks. You know, that Canadian Destroyer was like a really big spot. But I, I, I agree that by the end of it, I didn't come out with a feeling that this was in any way memorable, nor something that I needed to see. Um, I definitely think the cliche of, of, you know, the guy, the baby face getting taken out of the match only to return at the end. That's been very overdone. And especially with somebody like Cody, who I kind of I'm starting to express feelings of like, him being a babyface who is definitely starting to lead more heel to me. I I didn't really get into it. I do think that uh, you know Lance Archer looked really good. Um, I wish they told more of a story with Scorpio Sky leading up to this, and to know that the match is already happening on Wednesday tells me that it's just a I cold match with Darby. Like there's no. I would have um, at least delayed the match, you know, just yeah, so you can yeah, have a few, do a few more weeks. weeks to build it up. Like I thought, and that to the point was like, okay, if you're going to shotgun this match on Wednesday, um, you can do a quick road to or something with Ethan Page. Just, I, I just think the new guy should go over and instantly makes an impact instead of being a runner up in his first match in. Uh, he's a great talker. I think that he can excel. But I just thought for this introduction, you have a history with Darby. You leaned into it. And that's those two. I mean, they they had very good chemistry together as well. And you have that that injury that that Darby got as well. Like you do have a backstory of that feud in Evolve. Yeah, they can't use that footage from Evolve. Unfortunately. I don't think so. No, they cannot. Uh, but they can tell the story. Um, but, you know, uh, even all that, though, I wouldn't do the match right away uh, unless you already had a story going into this with the guy who ended up winning between him and Darby. I I, I would this to me would have been a much better way to catapult somebody into a storyline rather than getting the culmination seemingly this coming Wednesday. And then it was the surprise reveal of Christian Cage, who walked out to a theme very reminiscent of his old TNA theme. Um adding the cage and he walked in. He sat at the same, like or a similar theme song to his impact theme song. I think. Yeah. TNA. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You said that. Okay. Yeah. Walked in, signed the contract and revealed his new shirt. Outwork everyone. Yeah. And there was a uh, scrump from pro wrestling tees in the crowd, probably packing, selling some of those shirts. Uh, Nick on Monday. Yeah, I mean, get to work. You got the Big Show's new shirt. You got Christians. I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to sell a lot of these new T-shirts of these oh, guys yeah. coming in. I mean, that's especially the Kenny Omega, um, the exploding bar. That was match. a cool shirt that they had. Yeah, that they yeah. worked the the match in. But yeah, I guess time will tell what their plans are with, with Christian. I think comes in and it's you know you see where they're going. But I have my reservations about it just as an overall strategy of where they're going. Darby Allen and Sting against Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. So this was taped in advance. Taz was on commentary. And then we went to an undisclosed location where they showed up in this warehouse with a ring inside of it. And were, were you surprised that this was a cinematic match? No, because I mean, it had been discussed in the lead up that this was likely to be a cinematic match. And I think that was the smart move. I think Sting, if you were going to get 14 minutes of Sting, 
I much preferred in this setting than had they put him out in the ring for 14 minutes, even in a tag scenario with all the bells and whistles. I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I feel like there was some, con- for me, at least there was some confusion because I think much of the physicality that they did leading up to this match was like, to me, almost a message to tell you that this isn't just going to be a pre-shot, pre-edited, you know, smoke and mirrors type of thing. We're going to have Sting actually wrestle. And I think they did strike a good balance between having Sting actually wrestle and presenting it and wrapping the whole package in this ultra-dramatic, ultra you know, kind of pre-produced fantasy world. I thought the production value was incredible in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, of the cinematic matches we've seen, this is right up there just in terms of like, this was a movie scene. And I really liked that we didn't get any of the hocus pocus shit that I'm just, I'm mm-hmm. so done with. This was just a fight. And yeah. there was some extraordinary stunts that they did. Um, and I'd rather see the stunts done in an environment like this rather than, um, you know, like what we saw with like Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, for instance, of falling off of, uh, you know, high, high from high above. I so, agree. Like, I thought they struck a good balance between like stuff that looked cool, but stuff that didn't look fake. Like you knew a lot, like you knew Darby jumping off of that roof was Darby jumping off of that roof. And um, I'll tell you, like Brian the, Cage, like just yeah. walking up the stairs in the vertical suplex, like that guy just looked like you, this looked like a video game at times of what he was doing. I th- I thought this worked really well, and I've just I'm so tired of the fantasy world stuff that I, I was glad that they divorced themselves from that and just presented this as it was advertised as a street fight. Uh, Allen showed up with the army of hoodlums. And Sting showed up with uh, others dressed in Sting masks. And then we just broke off into the fight where Cage overpowered Allen, throwing him through doors. Sting threw away the bat and rammed Stark's head into the wall. And he was able to be okay. Uh, We had fire extinguishers involved. Uh, They put Cage through a table. We had a a glass panel that uh, Hobbs and Hook showed up attacking Allen. And they did this seesaw spot where Cage and Hobbs swung Allen through a glass window. Sting then catches this bat that was thrown by Allen to fight off Team Taz. And this is when Darby leaps off of this ledge with this elbow drop. And that is the last we would see of Darby. He jumped from the second floor, like, <laughs> into this hole, like, in this warehouse. And it just, it looked awesome. And then Sting was alone in the ring with Starks, uh, kicked out of a spear, and then countered a powerbomb. I love that they teased the powerbomb, and he countered it with a sunset flip, and then got to his feet, Scorpion Death Drop, and he pinned Starks 13 minutes and 51 seconds. This was really late in the show, and I was definitely feeling the fatigue of this show, but I thought this was pretty well done for what you had. And I thought this extent accentuated all four in the, in this setting. Uh, Ricky Starks was really brought up to the level uh, of the others. Darby got to do his crazy stunts. You protected sting as kind of the, you know, very much in an undertaker like role where he's physically limited, but this is a way to get around that. And Brian cage, I just thought came across as just this cartoon comic book monster. I thought he added a ton to this. Yeah, I mean, you know, the idea for this match very very well could have been initially to perhaps, you know, hide Sting's limitations, but I think the standout for me was Brian Cage. He is somebody who was made for this type of match. He because I think he's very much like a real life 
super super villain or superhero um i think he works either way but him throwing darby through doors beating up these random hoodlums is just fun to watch him walking up the steps with that delayed vertical suplex is something that like man like you would normally assume somebody could only do with like um i don't know uh wires and movie magic but here's a guy who can actually do it and looks the part he looked great darby allen doing some of the his amazing superhero moves was incredible like that first spot where like he was working with cage and then like bounced off the wall into like whatever move he did was just right right at the beginning yeah that was very cool so creative so looked so good he is like i mean the comparisons have always been there but he is jeff hardy times 1000 in coolness he should be the most marketable wrestler in the world i loved the entrance that they did for for those two with the 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 army of hoodlums coming out with the half face paint for both men sting you know he came across i think far better in this type of match he could probably do a regular match at this point i'm convinced but he looked way cooler here like there's no chance of him getting gassed no chance even of that face paint falling off it made him look 20 years younger. And that final shot of him glancing backwards, just like, again, made me fall in love with like Crow Sting again. They looked, they both looked fantastic. Ricky Starks is excellent. Production wise, not only was it shot really well, uh, not only were the stunts planned really well, I think they did a great job planning the narrative throughout the match, working up from level to level, having Sting throw the bat up, and then having throwing Darby throwing it back down. That worked really well for me. Something that didn't work so well for me, I don't know how I feel about the commentary throughout the match. Um, In particular, live commentary, uh, because they were essentially kind of calling this like it was like something that was happening in the moment when you're you're watching it. You could see the camera angles. You could see the goddamn score. Like, and the score, I think, for me, like, could have done enough of a job of telling the story on its own. It seemed like there was a lot of effort put into... The whoever was doing the the music and the audio editing for this to make sure that the score heightened and matched every single beat uh, and every single bump in this match enough to tell the story on its own. So I would have had loved to be given the choice to just kind of see this match without the commentary, but you know maybe it wouldn't have come across as well to some. So, but overall, I thought this was a really captivating enjoyable cinematic match at a point in time in the show where I was already starting to feel pretty tired. So this amount of variety and this well-executed type of variety was very welcome. It was a nice break to the show this late. Um, Again, the production, the editing, the score, um, all the people involved deserve um, a round of applause. I thought that this was among the, the best produced version of these cinematic matches. I thought it was really, really strong production values. Wednesday, they've announced for Dynamite, Darby and Scorpio for the TNT Championship, Matt Jackson against Ray Phoenix, Britt Baker, Rebel, and Maki Ito versus Hikaru Shida, Ryo Mizunami, and Thunder Rosa, and the Inner Circle's War Council. Main event, Kenny Omega, John Moxley, exploding barbed wire deathmatch for the AEW Championship, starring Bryce Remsburg in a hazmat suit. Yeah, another tribute to Onita and Funk. It's it's great because it visually sells the level of danger involved in a match like this for a civilian. And, you know, Bryce seemed like the best choice given his experience in like GCW and, you know, Mid-South and all, all or IWA and, and all these other crazy places. So maybe his most memorable uh, officiating uh, since the Invisible Man showdown. 
Oh, yeah. It was a big spot for him. Which the man deserved an award for. He was Mm -hmm. the star of that match. Probably got him this job. Don Callis joined commentary, telling the announcers, it's a great day to die. And they started off slow, teasing just the idea of coming into contact with the barbed wire. And it picks up as Omega threw powder into Moxley's eyes, sent him into the barbed wire, and we got the first explosion. And it looked good. And the crowd reacted. And I thought we were off to a good start. Like, that was the key. The explosions looking good. I thought it was actually a really conservative build to that first explosion. Really kind of delaying it and making you, making them, making the audience kind of earn it, you know? Like, they logically worked their way into it with that power spot. So Mox was blinded so that Omega could shove him in there. It didn't feel gratuitous. Like, I mean, most of this match I thought really felt very smart. Yeah. I mean, they paced it well. It was tough because the way the rules have been laid out, everyone's expecting this to go 30 minutes, which I thought like, that's a tough handicap that you're going to be telling people you're going this long. So that's why I really like how they finished the match. Moxley gets cut open. And my God, he was, uh, this was his tribute to, to Keiji Muto because he was covered. And mm-hmm. Omega goes for this figure four and he is kicked into the barbed wire. So the explosion goes. Then he sh- takes a shotgun drop kick. He goes back in for a second explosion. Uh, then we got mo- a lot of barbed wire spots. Moxley wrapped the, his arm for the lariat, which he did with uh, Eddie Kingston. And he nails Omega with a lariat. Uh, this is after he takes a snap dragon. They fight onto the edge of the apron and we go to one of the stages of hell where Moxley delivers a paradigm shift off the board with explosions underneath there. And Omega goes like straight down on his head during this paradigm shift. And then we got the musical 10 minute warning until this place was going to explode. Man, this was, uh, I think, I mean, another tribute to, like, Funk Onita. Like, to me, like, one of the most startling periods of that match was at the five-minute mark, it was, like, this ominous danger room type of sound that just felt so foreign for a wrestling match and made you feel, like, anxious and just gave you this great anticipation for this Big explosion. So the countdown was certainly on by this point. I love these sound effects. They get back into the ring, and several minutes later, Omega hits the one-winged angel. And Moxley can't kick out, but his foot triggers an explosion that sends Omega off, unable to cover him, which was the most clever thing on this in this match. These two, like that to me was thinking at a different level. I thought that was so smart. 100%. To me, this this spot is my peak of this entire pay-per-view. Like, I, I, if I, I, I feel like I got my money's worth just for this amount. And, and this is where, like, I think we have to really applaud the people involved in producing this match. Because I think expectations going in is, ah, blood and guts. Like, this is violent. When you think of exploding barbed wire deathmatch, you're just thinking of gratuitous violence. There are real, real smart opportunities to do creative, brilliant storytelling wrestling things in here and this was one example of that where the most protected finisher in the industry is the one-winged angel he hits it here and this kick out was not a kick out but somebody's basically muscle twitching to cause an explosion in this very specific type of moment that forced the kenny omega to to let go it was 
brilliant. It was the best one winged angel kick out. I mean, really, if you can even call it that, that I've seen. It was a, it was an unbelievable spot. And I, I think that's where the frustration will come at the end because these two put in such a great performance. Like if this match had blown and then the end sucked, it, it would just, it would just compound people's displeasure of it. But it was like, they had this great, it was like every, they had set the table so beautifully for 35 minutes. And then it was like, the last thing was like, oh Christ, the turkey is not cooked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or some, you know, perfect analogy. It's up. one in the morning. <laughs> Give me a break. Carl Anderson and Doc Gallo show up. They attack Moxley and we've got this barbed wire bat and Omega gets this bat and it explodes upon impact to Moxley's chest. Yeah. It was another uh, Onita reference here. And then a chair is set up. Omega lifts up Moxley and he puts him through the chair with the one winged angel and pins him in 25 minutes and 10 seconds. I thought it was brilliant that they ended the match before the 30 minutes were up, which it was just a really smart way to do it. And so the match at this point, I thought like, you know, they, they totally delivered on this. Like this Completely. was, it was, you know, whatever, whatever concerns you had, I thought that they, they laid out a great match here. Um, they delivered yeah. on the violence quotient. The explosions look good. The limited audience seemed to really be into that aspect of things. And they had this, I thought that that awesome, awesome kickout spot and, you know, a significant and that you buy as justifying a John Moxley defeat, which is very, very rare. Yes, absolutely. You know, when they announced this match, I, I, I definitely had a kind of morbid curiosity to, to see explosions, but I was more so interested to see these two who I think had proven more than, you know, their uh, incredible creativity and, um, what do you call What do you want to say? Like, um, uh, ability to be adventurous when it comes to professional wrestling styles and taste. I really wanted to see what these two could do with the concept of an exploding barbed wire death match. And they completely, completely exceeded my expectations because they crafted, I think a logical story uh, using the devices of these explosions that are ringside. And man, if this final scene hit, it would have been a masterpiece and may some, some say would maybe still call it um, a very good match um, even without that. But God, they were on their way in my opinion. So the match has ended before the 30 minute mark, but they continue to beat down Moxley. They handcuff him. He's totally out from the one winged angel. And suddenly a 60 second clock appears and the announcers were fantastic here in how frantic they were. Like they were calling this like, Oh my God, a bomb is going to go off. And everyone is freaking out for Moxley's safety. And then suddenly you see Eddie Kingston come out and everyone watching sees where this is going. And you're taken to a different level that they are calling back to this feud that you knew one day these two would have that reconciliation moment. And here John Moxley is on the brink of self-preservation and Eddie Kingston is going to come save his brother. And he gets into the ring. He's trying to help Moxley's lifeless body. And as the seconds are ticking down, he decides to shield. What a beautiful analogy. John Moxley. And with that, the clock hits zero. And 
dude, we got like a Fourth of July like cheap firework display. Sparklers was, on the it post. Sucked. It just it was, was the terrible. worst. It yeah. was just a all time terrible moment. Um, this will really I I, test how uh, they because this it's not just like a stunt that they had planned that sent the pay per view off on a bad note. I think it goes deeper that this was supposed to be an enormous storyline as well. Like, I think this was to likely take out Kenny Omega. It reunites Kenny, Eddie Kingston. It baby faces him. It's just so much that you have to do just beyond like a simple botch that it's like, okay, in the moment it fucked up and we move on. Like there was a story attached to this that you really cannot tell that story. This will test to me, Tony Khan booking himself out of this scenario. I, I, I think if they wanted to, they could just explain, oh, uh, Moxley isn't cleared due to internal injuries suffered from the body of the match. Because he went through a lot of shit in the body of this match. So if they wanted to write him off just based off of this, I could buy it. But knowing Moxley and I think the amount of pride he probably had in this match, the amount of pride Kenny Omega, Eddie Kingston would have had in this match. I think they're going to want to do some sort of make good, not in the form of violence, but just in some sort of creative angle, just to kind of like properly tell the story. A real, real disappointment. But again, I don't think that should take away from the incredible effort everybody put into it. And, you know, like, man, I feel bad for this explosives guy, like, or whoever is in charge of these explosives, because all the explosives looked great up until this point. It was just this final one. Or the, the most important one way like that's yeah that's what this was going to come down to and everyone knew it like that's you promote this like the 30 minutes is the major explosion it is the high spot of the entire pay-per-view it had to go right and it didn't so that that is going to weigh on people and it is the closing second of the pay-per-view that's going to leave people with that dissatisfaction um overall i'm not, I'm not going to place this as um aew's best pay-per-view I didn't think it was the level of last year's revolution, but I still thought it was a pretty good show. Uh, I could have done without some stuff in the middle. Um, I thought the main event, up until the final 10 seconds, I thought that part was was excellent. And I, I love that tag title match. Uh, the tag title match was still my match of the show. I really enjoyed the show, and I think despite the you know the 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 week ending, if you want to call it that, the main event was still my match of the night. I went crazy for a lot of those spots, and just the brilliant creativity that I think they exhibited uh, in the near fall, and having Eddie Kingston come out at the end. I love that match, and uh, I man, there's a part of me that like kind of enjoys this moment of just thirty minutes building up to the biggest thing that we've we've ever seen in AEW, and then like just a whimper that just i it, it's a it's a bit of like a schadenfreude that i just absolutely love that will make this match maybe even more legendary so i i really like this show uh so uh yeah thumbs up from me okay i do want to get to calls we have tons of feedback so how do we want to go about this let's go to the calls first let's give those guys some priority so at this point raise your hand and we'll get to your your feedback and uh do you do you want to go to the forum for our poll first john Okay, let's see what everyone had to say about tonight's show. The forum, which was lively here, gave this a 6.32 out of Ooh, 10. That's pretty low. That's pretty bad for uh, an AEW show. And I wonder how much of that is uh, based off of that main event. But let's first go to Alex. Alex, you're on the line. What did you think of Revolution? Hey, morning, guys. You all right? Hey, Alex. Thanks for staying up for us. 
Yeah, I was going to say, started watching the pre-show at midnight. It's now 6.14 a.m. So it's been a, a solid run in. How do you like the Sunday shows? I, well, I took a day off work for this one because I was excited for it. Usually, I prefer the Saturdays because, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. But um be honest, the WWE ones have been better recently, the shorter run times. So, uh, but yeah, um, overall, yeah, solid show. Obviously, disappointment at the end with... Uh, the, the sparklers um but i think the thing that was really missing was like what you guys said earlier just a bit of smoke and noise would have really accentuated it a bit more than even though it wasn't there uh, great uh visually but uh yeah it was a solid show i'd say good but not great uh overall um nothing i'd really go back and watch and like you say with the main event it's hard so i was ready to be recommending it to like casual fans who i know as well as like you have to see this it was insane kind of thing but now with the ending it's like should i warn them beforehand or you know let them don't tell them anything as we all don't, did don't tell them anything like just show it to them because that that moment like <laughs> i haven't laughed so much like watching a wrestling match in a long time like it's memorable that's that's what i mean like we can enjoy even that and then they'll want to talk to you about it for sure afterwards no, definitely. But uh, big shout out to the Discord tonight as well. It's, uh, it was one of the things that makes it easier to get through the longer nights when you're not just watching it on your own kind of thing. Uh, a lot of good chat in there and things. But uh, the Christian Cage signing, I think I had a bit of a case, a bit like WandaVision, where I was initially disappointed because I had other hopes that they'd never put out there. So, you know, you can't really be angry about it. But I thought it would be bigger than Christian, but um, such is life. But uh, but no, who, who, um, who would who would have been a, a name that would have uh, reached that expectation level for you? That would be a would realistic have, person to show up. That's the thing. It's realism versus what you want to see. Like realistically, Christian was 100 percent up there. Unrealistically, though, could you throw enough money at a Brock Lesnar? You know, that kind of thing. I don't think so. You know, that kind of thing. But, you know. When enough people are talking about it, they say it's going to change things. It's so big. It's like, I don't know, Christian just feels a little like what you guys were saying, where you're bringing in too many similar level WWE people. Um, Because it was an interesting thing in the Discord that someone put in on the poster for the pay-per-view for Revolution really is a a solid core of AEW wrestlers. We're seeing every pay-per-view, your Brian Cages, your your books, etc. There's not a whole lot of new faces they've built up, you know, after the initial sort of Darby Allen, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll be great backstage and things like that, but I don't really know where he slots in at what level, main event, TNT level, that kind of thing. But um, I'll let you get on. I know we've got a lot of people waiting to call in, but uh, great review as always. Glad to catch up. All right. Thanks, Alex. Thank you very much, Alex. Let's go up next to Nick. Nick, what's going on? What's going on, guys? Happy Monday, I guess. Happy Monday, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think I'm, I'm honestly around six point five for this show as a rating. I think they built it up really well, and I was a little bit not let down. I think there was some fantastic highlights. I loved the cinematic match, Sting Darby. I think the color shading that they used, the high quality cameras, the entrances, like you guys were talking about. I think they made that feel as epic as they possibly could, and I think that was a real testament to um to sting you know how much how much faith they have in him and how much stock they have in him doing these sorts of matches going forward and i think they could even do this when crowds get back to 
reasonable capacity somewhat. I think this is something that that people would want to see from Sting. Uh, I loved the main event up until the obvious uh, moment. I think you know the last Moxley Omega brutal match kind of bordered on the the gratuitous at some points, and I, I really think this this felt like the blood feud that we were all sort of promised. But there was a period in between around like 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. where I was watching this concurrently with the other Turner product on television tonight, the uh, NBA All-Star Game. And I just felt myself drifting towards the All-Star Game. And I don't know what it was. It just felt like it felt like an ex- like a third hour of the go-home dynamite to me at certain points. What matches were those? Definitely the uh, Kip Sabian, Miro, Orange Cassidy, and also the tag team Battle Royal. I didn't think it needed to be 30 minutes long or 25 minutes long or however long it was. I think that really dragged. And really the old the meat of that match was the last, the final four. And I think they could have done a little bit better to, to speed us up to that point and get us to, you know, Jungle Boy Reynolds. Uh, I, you know, those, I... Those I do feel like uh, this has been a repeated kind of a criticism of AEW pay-per-views is that they they tend to go longer than maybe they should. Um, and the fact that they haven't changed that is, uh, to me, telling me that Tony Khan feels like if they're asking their audience to pay a certain amount of money for a certain show, he probably expects a certain amount of entertainment duration right. that he's going to be providing its audience. Um you know but you know obviously you're talking to two people who watch too much wrestling already but uh i don't know about you but like you know other people is is that more of a detriment like would you have felt like your 60 dollars or 50 dollars were used well if they cut two, you know an hour from this show well i think alternatively what they could have done is cut some time from a match and then given christian promo time i think christian coming out and not saying anything just coming out with the contract revealing a t-shirt that felt a little bit of a letdown to me. I was expecting Christian. I had called Christian. That felt like a really realistic signing to me that they could make, especially since WWE had not mentioned him at all on TV since the Royal Rumble. I felt like the the deal was probably done for him to go to AEW. And, but I just think that we didn't... I think they needed him to explain on this show why he was signing with the company because there's no press release that came along with him. It's just like him kind of walking out there and being. That that was also strategic, though. I mean, you can like that's not a timing issue. Like that was obviously you're tuning in to find out who it is and then you'll tune into the television to find out the why. So that Mm -hmm. that was obviously a strategy on their part. Now, you can argue that they made that such a big deal that you could feel, you know, cheated that you didn't at least get a promo from him. But that's that was obviously that's not something where it was like oh we just can't fit in a promo it was like that was by design to send you to wednesday Mm -hmm. which will be one of that that will be the biggest thing on wednesday is is the promo it's going to be christian appearing on dynamite for the first time yeah i i I agree i think there could have just been a little bit more i think fanfare to him walking out i think him walking out with the contract leaving in the ring it felt like okay let's move on to the next next it was really just the reveal and that was it there was no no pomp and circumstance to it so yeah it maybe was some very pyro. much who it is yeah maybe, some yeah maybe the money from that final pyro went to the christian cage contract i don't uh, know maybe. who knows anyways <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys i appreciate it for doing this thank this you late. nick thanks for joining us as always uh let's go up next to hanzi hanzi what's going on yo what's going on man um i i, I like the pay-per-view i thought it was a good overall i don't think it was like I thought listen, they did such a good job hyping it up that I thought it was going to be like uh, like one of like the greatest pay per views ever. But 
Um, yeah, like some of some of them, the, the ladder match. I mean, there's too many ladder matches, man. And then I, I thought, like, the, the, I thought the battle royal didn't need to happen on the main card. To, personally, to me, uh, I would have preferred if um, the women's the women's tag match was on there, uh, even over Cassidy and the Miro stuff, whatever. That match over delivered. The ending, I listen, man. Listen, I, I again, I'm not going to knock what work they what work the um, Moxley and Omega did. But I mean, when you like, I mean, Tony Khan, like he's addressing it right now. Like, you know, he made a comment. He's like, oh, I don't know what people expect. The, the basic premise is they're going with Kenny Omega doesn't know how to engineer stuff. So they're going to address it on Dynamite. But then he's like, I don't know what you guys wanted. I, you know, unless you guys want us to really blow up the ring with two guys in there. But it's like, then why would you promote that then? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it just, I, I, this is why I get kind of annoyed with Tony Khan a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, like if he didn't hype up Chris, he didn't hype up the signing, he didn't hype up like this, you know, all the stuff, whatever, then maybe like, you know, I would have been okay. But like he overhypes too much. And then I feel like he's discrediting himself and people are going to end up hating him. You know what I mean? And I, that's basically I, my thought. So it, se- it seems like Tony's like, Tony Khan's not saying that anything went wrong. Like for all we know, maybe this was the way it was supposed to look. If that is the case, how can you expect your audience to buy that Eddie Kingston is dead? Like him selling this thing, like he was, like he was unconscious. There's no way you could make that believable. Like, no, ex- exactly. But I, I'm with you. On, I'm with you guys. I'm with you and Pollock on the Eddie Kingston part of it. I thought was amazing, man. Because like, I've been I've been saying um, you know, on my own platform that uh, Kingston should be AEW Sandman, like. Not like exactly like him, obviously, but that cult like like you know a loner kind of thing, whatever. Where he has that cool factor in him, and I thought ever since that Moxley and uh, uh, his feud, I thought they were going to kind of separate him from that. But I thought that part was really really well done. Like that was like you. Can, there's no way you can have Kingston be a heel now, in my personal opinion. And I'll leave you guys with that. Thank you for the good show. Uh, you know, I mean, I you know it, it's been a rough day. You know what I mean? So it's just been fucking crazy. So thank you for. Uh, entertaining all of us thank you hansi hope you're doing well hansi thank you for the call as always uh let's go up next to jason jason if you're there you want to unmute yourself you're going to be on hey what's up guys uh all in all i mean i thought it was a middle of the road show for AEW. i think my biggest issue with the show was some of the match placements and, and where they were like they started hot with the AEW tag title match but then like the, the ladder match I felt went too long. And then that Miro match went just weird. And it just kind of felt like we were watching a little bit of dynamite, but had to pay 50 bucks to watch it. Um, the main event I thought was honestly great up until the last 10 seconds. And that's no fault of the performers kind of find it weird how they're, uh, you know, now going with the angle of, uh, you know, can't go, like that Moxley promo that you guys played earlier. But I think you have to do something, right? They can't just say it was a deadly explosion or anything like that because, you know, everyone has eyes. We saw how bad it was. But, uh, yeah, I, that, that's unfortunate. That sucked that that happened. But, you know, I think Ethan Page being in uh, AEW now is a, a solid signing for them. And I liked what they did with Christian. I think a lot of people are maybe let down because their expectations are too high. But I think Christian's going to be a solid guy, though I am wondering with, like, you know, these Christians and Stings, if they're kind of treading in that TNA territory, which you don't want to tread into. But, yeah, I thought all in all, like, a a 6 out of 10 or a a 6.5 out of 10 is the way I would receive this show. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate the feedback. 
Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, let's go to one more phone call here before we go to our written feedback, and that's to New Jersey. Brandon, you're on the line. Hey, hey what's going on, man? Uh, what what did you think of this main event? I wish I could have watched this match with you. It would have been a, a blast. <laughs> no pun intended. I, I I thought the match was good, but uh, uh that that uh, the ending it was like uh uh it was like an ending of a bad Vietnam movie except uh, <laughs> the fireworks. I mean, it looked like Eddie Kingston had an edible when uh, he, <laughs> he was down on the ground. That's why he was out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was gonna go... sorry. What's that, John? I'm sorry. Nothing, Brandon. Keep going. <laughs> I, I I felt bad because uh, the match was great, and then the 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 the, the bad pyro went off because uh, Cody took it all, and uh, and uh, I, I guess the performers. Uh, I, I, I don't know what. I, I'm sure they'll rebound. They're gonna get some ribbing from this for the next few days. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, dude, I, dude. Not every idea is going to be a home run. This was one. It backfired. You pivot and you you react to it and you do whatever you have to. It's right. like this stuff is going to happen. And it's like, um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate it ended like this. But I mean, the strength of a Booker is going to be how you react to this and what and and how you get get around things. So that to me, that's the challenge that they have in front of them. Things didn't go your way. So you have to deal with this. It's, you know, uh, performers will engage in matches where things don't go their way. Someone gets injured midway through. You have to adjust on the fly. And that's what they have to do booking wise here. But I, I don't think anyone is sitting here tonight looking at Moxie and Omega. They were just a victim of the circumstances. I mean, it was out of their control, uh, this ending. And uh, uh, granted, I have not heard Tony Khan's comments, but I think everyone has every right to criticize that ending of what was promised uh, versus what was delivered and the severity that you were scheduled to uh, attach to it. Like you had like you had fireworks go off. Like, yeah, you were expecting more to that when you're, when your announcers are c- concerned for the man's life that a bomb is about to go off. <laughs> yeah, you set that expectation, not your audience. Um, yeah, I mean, like, just like what happened with the, with the Dark Order thing, uh, was it two years ago? With the, the air punches? Uh, they, they, they took their lashes for that, and then they rebounded and everything was fine. Uh, well, well, two things real quick, uh, and I'll get out of here. What do you do with, with Christian? Uh, do you think that the cat was out of the bag? Like, I guess earlier this week, I, I guess people were speculating about it. And do you think, uh, it was under, under delivered or something? There, underwhelming? There, there, well, there are only so many options that are out there. Like people are just so knowledgeable about all this stuff right now that it's really difficult to surprise people. And, um, as we've seen with like WandaVision recently, it's like, we, fans just like we overthink a lot and oftentimes it's to the detriment of i think you know enjoying it um does that mean you no longer tease people anymore um i don't think so like depends on what you're delivering like honestly if they had said nothing on wednesday and there's no speculation and tonight christian just shows up out of nowhere that would have been a big surprise so I can't mm-hmm. say it's disappointing when under different circumstances that would have shocked people who all would have just assumed he's in WWE. Um, but the fact is that, listen, John Cena was not showing up. Uh, when CM Punk flat out says, I'm not showing up, I think you can take that uh, t- to the bank. Um, Brock Lesnar was not showing up. 
So again, to Way's point, like once you look at who the available options were, like there's there's not that many options. Like Christian on his own is like a great pickup. This is a guy that can still go. He is among the most respected people of those that have worked with him over the last close to 30 years. I mean, there is no one that has a bad word to say about this guy in terms of his intelligence level when it comes to putting together matches. Like in that sense, he's a great pickup. Um, I, I would yeah. pick him up over some, some others that they have recently signed. I, but I, I just think like, was there any foul play involved in AEW's promotion of this? What did Big Show say? Future Hall of Famer who, what? Future what Hall of Famer who is one of Tony Khan's favorite wrestlers and is going to come in and do a lot of great matches. Didn't lie. Like, there's no foul play there. Like, you know, man. I, like, it's but, the job of the company to promote and hopefully deliver on those promises. But, like, that, that is the game of, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to deliver something that, yeah, it'll be a little polarizing. Some will like it. Some won't. It's like, yeah, they're going to put it over as a huge signing. And in many ways, it is for them to be able to bring in someone of, you know, that's a notable, significant name over the past two decades. All of this sounds like it, it'll be great fuel for a promo from Christian on Wednesday. Oh, am I not he, a big enough name for you all? You know, that type of thing. Did he not get cleared by WWE? You think that's why they didn't bring did, him back? Or Brandon, you saw him in the Royal Rumble, did you not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he looked great, but... Uh, he, was, he was cleared, weird. yeah. yeah it was, was weird. It was weird. It's weird that they didn't bring him back. <laughs> I thought it'd be a home run for WrestleMania season, but... uh. I, hey, I I think it's cool. And, and one more thing, I'll get out of here. Uh, with uh, <laughs> with the uh, uh, Apollo Cruz, uh, <laughs> do you think it would be uh, uh, in bad taste if they introduced his father and, and it's uh, Saba Simba? Good night, Brandon. Good night, guys. Love you. Okay, let's do a let's do a few pieces of uh, feedback before we get out of here. There's a lot here. Uh, I, I don't think we'll, we can get through all. We'll of read this. as much as we can. Why don't you start us off? All right, we're going to Aaron from Brampton, who says, excuse me, I enjoyed everything about this pay-per-view, except for the cinematic match and the post-match antics of the main event. For the cinematic match, the commentary didn't fit. It was obvious they were calling a pre-recorded video. And for the main event, it was a lot of fun, but the post-match stuff was incredibly lame. Did Eddie Kingston really get knocked out by a few fireworks? Solid 6 out of 10 pay-per-view. We go to Mark. First off, had Christian just showed up at the event as a complete surprise, people would have enjoyed it. Instead, they hyped it up way beyond what it was worth for absolutely no reason. Well, I think the reason was to hype up a big surprise that you were... I mean, that was the talk of the last... Since Wednesday. I mean, that was talked about more than anything else on this show. So in that sense, it was hyping up your pay-per-view. I don't know if people are necessarily making their decision just on a reveal, but... I mean, in terms of the discussion, like you tease something like that, that is going to promote your show. And that was the buzz attached to tonight. So I, I understand what the thinking was. Well, I think uh, everything they did was perfectly fine. It's just like, I guess they can't control the audience's expectations. And for some reason, people were thinking Brock Lesnar and like John Cena and like just CM ridiculous Punk, ideas. Punk like, you can like, I, I suppose that's fair. But yeah, I mean, it's always a danger, I suppose. Uh do you want to keep going or? Uh, I mean, he just ends off here. Overall, an above average show. However, most people will be overly hard on it due to the final explosion and the Christian reveal being their only takeaways, which is unfortunate as there was a lot of good. 
I mean, I, I, like, I'm, I'm never going to criticize how people take in a show, but those were two of the biggest things. Pr- they were the two biggest things promoted on the show. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be given extra weight in terms of how you grade the show based on how you received the Christian signing. And I think everyone can agree the, the ending was subpar. We go to Johnny from Saskatoon who says, I thought the show was kind of underwhelming tonight. Definitely the highlight for me was the women's championship match. Rio's leg drops were simple yet effective. Also, it was a pleasant surprise seeing Maki Ito show up tonight. Lewis from Long Beach. Although I hate to say it, I think the lasting memory of the show is going to be the flat finish to the world title match, followed by those sparklers around the ring that Eddie Kingston had to sell like he died. Obviously, that was a massive screw-up by somebody. But for me, that finish to the show took what was a really solid pay-per-view and pushed it down a few notches. A really shitty ending to what I thought was a really good feud. I really feel bad for Kenny and Moxley, who killed themselves in that match. Five out of ten. Kenny says, After the first three matches, I thought we were in for one of the best shows of all time. Then things really slowed down. I don't mean to pick on the guy, but I'm not sure how they could have made Miro less interesting after the excitement around his debut. Same goes for Sting. The street fight was long and boring, and I don't think anyone is looking forward to another Sting match. Jay from Windsor. Up until the cinematic match, I was enjoying the pay-per-view. Then the worst match of 2021 happened. I am not sure who decided that it would be a good idea to do live commentary during a cinematic match with obvious post-production, but the idea of it being live was laughable. Hated the Christian reveal. It was literally the one guy I didn't want it to be. It didn't live up to the hype. It felt like Genesis 2005 all over again, and I'm upset that as fans, we aren't going to be able to see Edge and Christian and their careers together. Well, that's not AEW's fault or or even Christian's. I mean... He got this offer. I wasn't looking forward to the main event, as I'm not a fan of barbed wire matches, but the first three quarters of the match were better than I expected. I liked the explosions, and the guys worked hard. Everything went downhill once the Good Brothers came out. Not the finish I wanted to see when I pay $60 for a pay-per-view. Three out of ten, worst show of the year, when you consider the price point. I think that's a little harsh. You know, the price point is a factor, though. In, in, in like that's that, where that is going to in, influence people that, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about what you could say would be the best show of the year so far of a Wrestle Kingdom that cost you nine dollars. Yeah, both shows. I, think, I think that's why like AEW continues to feel so much pressure to over deliver and sometimes uh, in, in quantity, maybe even in, in, ahead of quality. Yep. Um, and so I'm sure, you know, they're going to try to work very hard to address some of the concerns. Let's go to Jay from Colorado who says, what I want to mention is the AEW casino app. I checked it out and it really quickly, and it's a, literally another casino app, minimally rethemed to AEW. It says double or nothing on one of the tables, and that's about it. The slots aren't AEW themed. Okay, so he has now a bad review of this AEW casino game, it seems. Oh my god, with a lot of photos attached. Thank you. Um, let's go down here to Andrew from Cape Breton. To quote OSW, AEW used some spooters for their big pyro display at the end. What sucks is, I don't know if Eddie Kingston knew the pyro was that bad, as his head was completely buried so he couldn't change on the fly and no-sell it. I mean, what are you going to do at that point? Get up and just shrug your shoulders? I mean, you're kind of committed to the act at this point. There's not a whole lot you can do. I do, though, think like if you're an experienced performer, you have to... Like be able to call an audible on an explosion on like a bomb that was supposed to go off. This isn't exactly theater that is taught in wrestling school of like, what would Uh, you have done here? What would you have done in this situation? So, 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 so I think I would to that, I would actually say yes. But at the same time, if you're Eddie Kingston, your head is buried underneath. You don't know how these explosions would have looked to a camera. 
for all he realized, maybe it did look amazing. Maybe he was surrounded by plumes of smoke. So it's hard to blame him. I think if he had a realization that this was such a whimper of an explosion, I think he would have improvised. But then um, you're also contradicting the story that had probably been laid out. Like if it, you the fix idea that is- afterwards, you fix that afterwards because you can't fix somebody pretending to die from something that was obviously not death and de- like worthy of that. You know, I think that's uh, way too much to expect in the in the heat of the moment there. So that you can just improvise to to that degree when that's what everything was built around. Like, listen, the uh, like I have nothing to say about the performers and how they reacted here. It was like. It's just a shitty situation to be in. Yeah, I just I disagree. We go to uh, B from New York who says, so if AEW gets the blood and guts match, will WWE now get a sparkler match? Look, it's not what you expect to enjoy for the money you pay, but am I going to remember this forever? Absolutely. Sometimes leaving them laughing is as good as anything else. RIP Eddie Kingston. Uh, Kate writes, it's really sucks that the ending of the show is such a disaster because it's going to color people's opinions of the entire event. She says, Maki Ito was a wonderful surprise. I thought that the pre-show match is very entertaining. I enjoyed the tag title and women's title fights, which were holding down the normal match portion of the evening. Tag team battle was better than I expected. Love the cinematic match, although those things are always going to be divisive. I mostly tuned out the commentary. The ladder match and big money match were too long, as much as I enjoyed the hangman drinking a beer with Dark Order ending. And the exploding barbed wire death match was really enjoyable and should have let them go out on a high. I really feel sorry for Eddie Kingston, who probably thought he was going to cap off the night with an emotional high and now has to explain how he got knocked out by sparklers. A very decent show that went up in a puff of smoke at the end. Finally, we got an Andrew from St. John who says the literal damp squid squid leaves a bad taste in the mouth, but I really like the show. My excitement was high from the beginning because of the surprise Maki Ito, and I really like Shido and Rio and how it built and built to a crescendo. Tag Royal Rumble was jobberific, but I had a lot of fun with the ladder match and the street fight and most of the main event until the interference, was, which disengaged me to the point of not paying attention to when the finish actually happened because I expected it to go longer. My heart goes out to Eddie Kingston. 8 out of 10. I, of the matches that, like, the Battle Royal, like, it did go a lengthy amount of time. That was not one that I felt dragged at any point, and I was glad it was on the pay-per-view, because you couldn't have, you would have had to cut that match significantly to put on to the buy-in. Like, the women got yeah. 15 minutes on the buy-in. Like, you only got 30 minutes in that slot, and they went... uh I don't have the time here in front of me, but they went uh, well over 20. Yeah, I really didn't have some of the issues. I mean, if I had to, you know, edit this show, it would have been probably for the Matt Hardy, Adam Page match. I think I would have just cut the Miro match completely and maybe shaved some time off some like the uh, women's match. But, um, you know, I think they're in a mood of like wanting to deliver certain hours for the amount of money that you're paying, which I I hope they actually address because I don't think the audience really like thinks like that anymore so wednesday should be a very big night for both sides you've got on one side uh coming off the pay-per-view presumably christians on that show and whatever else they announce uh with the tnt title match and then you have adam cole challenging finn balor and io shirai versus tony storm so big shows from nxt and AEW on wednesday night yeah certainly um it never ends here there's always a lot to cover and uh we are, I suppose, what, um, two weeks away from Fastlane, it sounds like? Uh, oh. Correct, yes. So, man, there's that. Um, and what else is coming up this week, John? 
Uh, we'll put out the whole schedule on Monday, but we're going to be back with Rewind to Raw on Monday night. We've got uh, a big, another big weekend of WH coming up where he's going to have – it's the trifecta of WH. We're going to have a post-pro res on Friday, a special uh, long and Long. winding Royal Road on the weekend where he's going to be joined by Brandon Thurston to review oh. their latest uh, match from 1996. And then you and WH are going to be reviewing the yet-to-be-released WandaVision documentary, which I'm really intrigued by. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, you know, this is a bonus edition of Rewandavision. We just covered the uh, season finale, which you can find on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed, of course, right now. But on this coming Sunday, we'll be talking about the Assembled documentary. I've got actually a, a bit of an interview that uh, with one of the cast members that I'll be doing. And then we'll be previewing Ooh, Falcon. We, we, from Wandavision? Yeah, the uh, gentleman, uh, his name is Ithamar, who, who uh, played the com- uh, man in the commercials. Our, our friend Daniel Shahori hooked, hooked me up with a, an interview. Oh, that's awesome. So I'll be talking to him about his experience working on a Marvel production and what it was like to be kind of like, you know, involved in this like heavily fan speculated world of uh, comic books. And he's a wrestling fan, too. So um, I'm sure okay. he'll have a lot to say. That's awesome. Uh, but, but we'll be also previewing Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, so you can tune into all that on the Post Wrestling Cafe. But Tuesday, we've also got an edition of Ask Away. We've got... Uh, uh, currently right now for one more day a t-shirt sale for 50 percent off of our post marvel shirt at store.postwrestling.com for all patrons and another uh thing i want to announce is that i'll be joining the british wrestling experience this thursday on their show so, way is all over the place and monday night we're going to announce another show that's going to be part of post podcast day so we'll reveal that on monday night a future hall of fame show is going to be joining <laughs> us at post podcast day they're going to have some great away. shows. Uh, one of my favorite shows. Uh, we will I think we need a countdown Monday. clock uh, during post-podcast day. And then yes. sirens going off. That'd be a great idea. Okay, so go check out the uh, the great uh, Rewind Division series finale. with Well, not series finale, because they will be back this weekend. But Nate Milton joining WH and Way, as well as the UFC 259 post show with Phil and I reviewing Saturday's card, which had a very... Uh, very highly well i won't say disputed it was the right call to make but quite the title change where aljamain sterling won the bantamweight title after absorbing a uh a kamagoye way i saw this uh as i'm sure many people did it sounds like the perfect like pro wrestling booking to a rematch it's the perfect setup for a rematch so anyway whole rundown of that ufc card we're back on monday night check out postwrestling.com thank you to everyone that joined us live we're at we're live after each AEW and WWE pay-per-view for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons. And we'll be live for those same people Monday night at 1115 Eastern.